All right, so let's do um, just a quick, let's just have a quick discussion on the appointed times. Um, gaining understanding and perspective on what they are and why they're prescribed is super, super important. And quite frankly, very exciting. A grasp of the why behind God's holy days is one of the coolest things that have been revealed to our congregation over the last handful of years. And, and for the Sass family, I can certainly speak. Um, we have greatly enjoyed learning about the Moedim and practicing the keeping of God's appointed times. And uh, it's been a learning experience, a multi-year um, learning experience. And so if you're new to Feast of Trumpets, that's good. We'll give you just a little bit more insight, hopefully, today. More importantly, um, you're here and will experience today and Ultimately, that is the best teacher. To simply walk in God's ways does something to us. It does something in us. It does something to us. It does something for us. And I believe it even does something for creation. So there is, um, so it's a great day. It's a great day. And I don't want to spend a ton of time, but I, I just want to share sort of some of the things that that we've been shown to help begin to bring some of the why, really solidify the why. And um, I wrote down some things here that I'll just go through quickly. First of all, uh, Moedim stands for appointed times. And um, one of the most important fundamental whys behind the holy days is because God wants the saints on the same page with himself. And, um, and just getting that idea in place goes a long ways in both the encouragement to align with the holy days as well as um, learning from them. They're literally designed and given as a gift to us to get us on the same page as God. And, and really, um, as we pursue holiness, which we're called to do, Hebrews chapter 11, as we, as we are called to pursue holiness, it is literally impossible for us to pursue holiness if we're not on the same page as God. That is like the absolute foundation of holiness is to be aware of what God is doing and aligned with what God is doing. Holiness is not first and foremost behavioral. Um, the keeping of God's commandments is connected to holiness, but way before that is aligning with the Father and being on his same page. So. Um, so really, the, the heart of, of um, the call to be holy because he is holy is, to, is, to, is the process of having our eyes opened to what is the master doing? What is God doing in the earth, in creation, that as we are adopted into his family, this is John 15, 15, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, 
um, something along the lines of, I, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, because a servant does not know the master's business, but everything the Father has made known to me, I am making known to you. Uh, another passage says that it is God's good pleasure to reveal these things to the, to the, to the young, like to the babies, and phew, you can't get more baby than this congregation, praise God. Thank God for that. Right? So it is, his, it is his pleasure to reveal his will to us. It is his pleasure to reveal his business. And, 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 he, and he hides these clues in plain sight all over the place, all over the scriptures. And all we have to do is set aside the traditions of man and get into and stick with what's written and do Bible things in Bible ways. And lo and behold, the Father's will is revealed to us. His, the master's business is, is made plain to us and, and we can not only know what he's doing, but more importantly, we can step into our appointed contribution. Right after Jesus says, I call you friends, he says, you didn't choose me, I choose you and I appointed you to do what? Bear fruit, right? Fruit in aligning with the divine, eternal purposes of the Father. Well, the Moedim are one of those excellent tools, the perfect tools of the Father to take his own, the sheep of his pasture, and say, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm up to. I don't want you in the dark. I don't want you guessing. I don't want you doing your own thing. I want you aligned with me. I want you aware of, of my plan, and I want you in step with me. So that's a big, big reason why we... We are given the, the holy days and why we choose to align with walking them out. Uh, secondly, it is an incredible tool to teach the gospel. And this is probably, um, especially for those of us that have kids, this is probably one of the greatest gifts that uh, Diane and I have experienced as it relates to just sharing with our kids the fullness of the gospel message and the invitation to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. The, the holy days give us such a perfect, lacking nothing, complete in every way understanding of the full gospel. And the reason that is so important is because there is so much teaching today in particular in the American church of a very partial gospel, some of which has um, significant truths, Christ's work on the cross being central to that. But Christ's work on the, on the cross is central to a story that is way, way, way bigger than if you say this prayer, you get to go to heaven when you die. The, the gospel is the story and the plan and the divine purposes of the Father for all of creation, the whole cosmos being made new and set back to right and and the miraculously and divinely and beautifully the Moedim paint that picture and tell that story with every one of the major events necessary for the Father's will to come to pass taught prophesied about proclaimed and given to teach 
I honestly, at this point, don't know how you present the gospel, don't know how you share the gospel invitation without understanding the holy days and every one of the events they represent. Which leads us to number three, the giving of the holy days wonderfully gives us prescriptions for engagement in each of these events that protect us from doing our own thing. All right, and and this goes a little bit to some of the points we made last week about when we take the things of God and we make them about ourselves, one of the things that we will often do is um, make them about ourselves. Make it be a blessing to self. And, and as soon as we take God's um, agenda or purposes or meaning behind something and we set it aside and we, and we start to incorporate our own things, it's always going to go askew, to put it plainly. And, and I'll use a, a simple example that I think so beautifully illustrates my point. Uh, the tradition of the church currently, traditions of man regarding how we are to recognize the resurrection of Christ have fallen to something very much not what the word teaches. Right? And many of us were practicing these traditions recently, not long ago. We were busy to to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We were busy putting baskets together and hiding eggs and blessing ourselves and adding candy and toys and events and dresses and that's exactly what happens when we take the prescriptions of God and we set them aside and we fall in line with traditions of man and what's why this example is so important for us to see is because there is a biblical prescription regarding our response to the resurrection of the Messiah. And it happens to be one of God's holy days. And it happens to be a week of reflection on the heels of recognizing the Passover, which frees us from Egypt, we are to have a week of reflection on getting Egypt out of our life. Right? A perfect prescription for the perfect engagement of this perfect thing that has happened in the middle of history. And so what all of the Moedim do is they give us a prescription for the engagement of these appointed times that is exactly what God desires us to do to experience exactly what we're supposed to experience, to learn exactly what we're supposed to know, to practice exactly what we are gonna do in the future. All of God's ways are this way. So all of the Moedim are this way. And the prescriptions keep us from falling into the traps of celebrating Easter, for example. That make sense? The last one and and, and one that we'll touch on a, a little bit more than than uh, the other three today is the Moedin help us to envision and anticipate the things that are yet to come. All right, so, so from a big picture standpoint, um, there are essentially three slash four spring holy days and there are three fall holy days. 
The spring holy days all represent the first coming of Christ, and in fact, therefore, all of them have already been accomplished. Christ coming as the Passover, the true unblemished lamb literally being killed on the same day as was established some 1,500 years before. Absolutely one of the most miraculous, divine miracles in Scripture. Right? Immediately following uh, Christ dying as the Passover, he is raised as the first fruits of new creation. Why? Because God has got a larger redemptive story and he is playing it out right in front of us on these days that he has established. 50 days after that, Pentecost comes, the giving of the law in the, in the original, but at Christ's first coming, the giving of the spirit. Why? Because the body of Christ needs to be empowered from a power on high, from on high to enable us to walk out being a true and faithful witness. Okay, so all of those events have already taken place. We continue to recognize them and we continue to honor them for all of these reasons. Right? The fall holy days represent the second coming of Christ. Why, by the way, did they take place in the fall? Mr. Gunner? <laughs> you will get a chance, buddy, very soon. Okay, the fall holy days take place in the fall. Why, Susie? Yep. And harvest. Right? There is a fall harvest. There is an end time harvest that all of this points towards. Every one of God's ways are perfect. Every one of his dates are perfect. His times are perfect. His plans are perfect. Everything about God is amazing. And one of the things that the Holy Days opens our eyes to is just how timelessly amazing the eternal plans of God are. Nothing is out of place, not by a single day. So the fall Holy Days represent things that are yet to come. There are three, the Feast of Trumpets, which we sit on today, which by the way, and this is to answer Crystal, your question that you just texted me, uh, you will begin to see on Facebook today, some people will say Happy New Year, right? Because they call today the Jewish New Year. That is not a biblical thing. That is not a God thing, okay? God's New Year starts on Nisan 1 in the spring. All of God's ways are perfect. All of the traditions of man are going to be slightly off, okay? Today is not God's New Year. God's New Year is on Nisan 1, Today is the beginning, the first month of the seventh year, because we are moving into the fall harvest. Seventh month, I'm sorry. Everything is perfect. Okay, so on the first day of the seventh month, we blow the trumpet. We'll talk about why that happens in just a moment. Exactly 10 days from now, we have the Day of Atonement. And shortly after that, we have an eight-day feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. All of those represent events that are yet to come. Okay, so these are given to us specifically to envision and anticipate things that are yet to come. Things in the larger redemptive story of God, the, the cosmos-wide plan of God to make all things new. There are three events that are yet to happen that must happen for it all to come to pass. He wants us to know those events, to recognize in, in today's case the literal sound of those events so that we can, one, look forward to it, put our hope in it, and celebrate it. Okay, point number one, purpose number one. Purpose number two, so that we can 
know what's coming at those events, and if necessary, heed a warning and make adjustments. Purpose number two. All right, we're going to talk about both today. So um, each of these events from trumpets through tabernacles essentially are recorded in Scripture in Revelation chapter, you know, um, 19 through 21, but kind of going back a little bit in Revelation also. But specifically chapters 19, 20, and 21, all three of those chapters cover all three of these events. Events yet to come, events that are promised, prophesied, and, and must happen for the culmination of everything being made new. Everyone clear? So let's, um, let's read the culmination, a couple of, um, let's just re be reminded of the culmination of the gospel, the culmination of the will of Father God, the scroll in the hand of the one who sits on the throne. That was opened Revelation chapter five, when the lamb was slain. This is where it culminates. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Jackson, would you come and prepare to blow? Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will be with them and will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death or sorrow or crying. For the, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write for the right, right. For these words are faithful and true. So what I read is the culmination. What I read is the beginning of tabernacles. The tabernacling as a verb of God with man. The restoration of Genesis 1 and 2, we read in Revelation 21. Everything Father God desired in the beginning is fulfilled in the end. The whole story of the Bible is that God wins, hallelujah. And so this is the hope of the body of Christ. This is the hope of the saints of the one true God, that everything will be made new, and that a new heaven and a new earth in the age to come will be our eternity. That is why we do what we do. That is why we love each other. That is why we care for each other. That is why we keep the commandments of God. 
because in the age to come, we keep the commandments of God. Right, so this is all, from, from Pentecost to Tabernacles, this is all practice. Practicing being a new creation humanity. Why? Because the firstborn from amongst the dead is already alive. And new creation has literally already begun. And by his spirit, we get to live that resurrective life here and now. And we're powered by the very spirit of God in order to do that. And by his spirit, he leads us to align with these times so that we, we with our whole lives declare the manifold wisdom of God, Ephesians chapter 3. It is the manifold wisdom of God that through the church, his, his plan would be revealed to the powers and principalities in the spirit realm. Hallelujah. Amen. So, so, um, so trumpets in particular is, um, it's probably really wrong of me to have a favorite holy day, but it's my favorite one. And it's a, and it's a really um, simple prescription so let's just unpack it just a little bit. Uh, all the holy days are found in Leviticus chapter 23. So someone please find for us and read the prescription for the Feast of Trumpets. Okay, so I find it um, kind of fun to try and go back and put myself in their place and wonder what they must have been thinking for the children of Israel in the desert to be commanded by the Creator God to, on a specific day, don't work, gather, and blow a shafar. Interesting, right? And, and as most of the holy days, uh, one way in which they're similar is, is they were appointed and assigned and, and prescribed kind of way before there was clarity on why, right? This is how the will of God and the plan of God gets revealed over time. So, so back 1,500 years before Christ, there's this prescription to gather on a specific day and blow a trumpet. And what we see throughout the Old Testament story then is the trumpet being used for a number of things and in a number of ways. And we're not going to do a whole study on this, but if you just go in your scriptures and, and, and read the stories, um, one of the things that you'll find reasons that the trumpet is sounded uh, first uh, as a call to summon God's people together. Second, as the, um, it, the trumpet sound would proceed going into battle. 
Anyone think of any examples of that? Very good. Third, the trumpet would be, would be used in praise and worship. And then fourthly, the trumpet would be used to warn of a coming danger. So, so the prescription is given early. Throughout the story, hundreds of years then, instruction is given on different uses for the trumpet. And every one of these uses and every one of these reasons why the trumpet was blown throughout that story and in the natural is given to help us better understand its divine purpose and its divine reason. And its divine reason is what? What does the trumpet sound signify? Christ's return. Guess what's going to happen on Christ's return? Guess what are... Guess what? Well, let's just read the list. All four of these things. When Christ returns, all four of the, these things that the, that the trumpet was used for throughout the story, every one of them apply. The trumpet is used to gather the saints of God. The trumpet is used going into battle. The trumpet is used in praise and worship, and the pr trumpet is used to warn of a, of, a, of a coming danger. Every one of them perfect. Everyone aligned perfectly with the Father's will. This noise, saints, that the trumpet makes is to open the awareness of the, the body of Christ to all of these things taking place. This is regarding an event that's yet to come. Re regarding an event that we don't know when it's coming. Right, and every generation has speculated it's going to come in their lifetime. And guess what's happening in our generation? Everyone thinks it's coming in our lifetime. I'm not going to stand up here and say yes or no. I'm just going to say it's coming. So it's for the body of Christ to know this sound. It's for the body of Christ when this sound is heard to recognize why it's blown. It's for the body of Christ to know the master's business in a larger redemptive story. And a big piece of, of the master's business is the business side of the return of Christ. When Jesus comes back, it's for business. Let me, let me read how he will return. Lacey, you want to blow? You can't do worse than I did. Listen to the description of our king returning. Close your eyes even as I read this and, and try and envision this. Keep them closed. For the sound of the trumpet. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 19. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written 
that nobody knew except himself. And he was, he was clothed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he, will, he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has his, on his robe and on his thigh the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there are two, at least two, purposes for recognizing and celebrating the Feast of Trumpets. And I was really wanting today to be about point number one, which is anticipation and celebration. And I think I long for that, and I, want, I long to celebrate that with you all um, because of just the heartbrokenness that I know we all share right now. When we look at the state of the world, when we look at all the evil and pain and the lack of truth, when we see all the deception, when we see all the counterfeits, that's very heartbreaking. And it's natural and it's right, saints, to long for that Jesus to return and bring the sword. and utterly crush everything that opposes God. And establish that thousand year reign with absolute sovereignty and absolute power. And to see the goodness of God return to the land, to see the truth of his word and his ways established in the land. If the spirit is inside of you, you have that longing. It is a homesickness, is it not? Just a longing for rightness, a longing for truth, a longing for justice. And that's a, a good longing to have. And that is a great hope to have. It is great to envision the return of the king. And it would be appropriate today for us to celebrate that. And I really wanted to do that today, but I got corrected two times. Because the, because the second piece of the Feast of Trumpets 
is what the Lord's focus, focusing me on today, to focus us on today. And it is to be warned of the coming danger. It is point number four on this list. That the sound of the trumpet is to warn of the coming danger, to warn of the day of the Lord. And regarding the day of the Lord, there are, there are basically two warnings that I have for us. And the first is to be real sure you're on the right side. And if you are, to be real sure that you're prepared. All right, so there are many perspectives in each of these categories. And the Lord gave me two that are, I just believe, right for us. So I'm just going to go through these with, with us for the specific warning that comes, that should come when we hear the trumpet. So when you hear this unmistakable sound going forward and you are reminded of the coming day of the Lord, there should be an aspect of warning in that. And the first aspect of this warning is you better be on his side. Okay, so, so here's, the, um, here's the theme we're going to follow. Someone find Psalms chapter 118, verse 22, and Isaiah 28, verse 16. Isaiah 28, 16. Anyone find that? The cornerstone in Zion, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Okay, so throughout the scriptures, holy and divinely inspired, Christ is personified as a stone many times. And I want to give us today a perspective and a picture of our mind of Christ as the cornerstone. And now I want to read one of the things that this cornerstone is prophesied to do. I believe this is a prophetic picture of what the Feast of Trumpets envisions and anticipates and of what it prophesies is, is going to happen. And this comes from Daniel, Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So if someone wouldn't, wouldn't mind reading Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 through 35. Thou king saw and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before me, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest that a stone was cut out without hands, with smoke 
the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Hallelujah. I love this prophecy. The image of the of the statue representing the kingdom kingdoms of the earth. And and in this interpretation Daniel reveals that there's coming a stone. And it's a stone not cut by human hands. And when that stone comes, what's it going to do to the kingdoms of this earth? Crush them. Crush them so thoroughly that they will be like dust in the wind. And when that stone is done crushing the kingdoms of this earth, what's it become? A mountain that covers the whole earth. This is the king this is the king that's coming. This is what immediately precedes or follows rather the final trumpet sound. And Jesus makes mention of of this stone specifically within him teaching about the gospel invitation. So in Matthew 21, let's turn there quickly. In Matthew 21, really starting in verse 28, there are two, two straight parables in which Jesus teaches on really the gospel invitation. That he and he alone is the way. That should he be rejected, you are on the other side. The trumpet should be warning the bride of Christ or, or, or the trumpet should warn all of mankind that sides matter and a side must be chosen. And when, when Jesus concludes this teaching, go with me down to verse 43. He says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing its fruit. This is on the tail end of a parable he tells about his own death. And this is specifically told to the Pharisees and the, the religious that had him killed, that saw him killed, He says, it will be given to a nation that bears its fruit. Verse 44, and whoever falls on the stone will be broken, 
but on whomever it falls, it will grind him into powder. So here's the, here's what Jesus is saying there regarding when the stone comes, there's two options. Two options that must be chosen prior to that time. And one is to fall on the stone or the other is to have the stone fall on you. And the brokenness that he describes to all who choose to fall on the stone is good. That's the best kind of brokenness. It's a broken and contrite heart. It's brokenness and humility. It's brokenness and surrender. It's brokenness and absolute reliance on him and his work on the cross. And to fall on him represents making the choice to surrender. That and that alone is the only way to be on God's side. There are many ways the scriptures describe it. Being clothed in Christ, being one in Christ, being joined to Christ. It happens only one way. True repentance, true confession, true surrender, and going down in water for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. For all who are born of water and born of spirit, we're on God's side. We become sheep of his pasture. We are seated in Christ, one in Christ, clothed in Christ, marked by the blood of the true unblemished lamb. We belong to God. Our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we're on the right side. If that is not taking place, then the stone falls on you. And the word says you are ground to powder. So this trumpet sound declaring the return of the Lord, the return of the king, the return of the stone not cut by human hands should carry with it that warning. Amen? And it, to any who have not yet chosen that side, this trumpet is a warning. Yes, ma'am. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord to become and rain righteousness upon you. Amen. For any time, any area of your life where your heart is hard, where God can't, where God can't reach you or you're not listening to his voice, you open the door uh, for your heart to Right. Yeah, Michael. I just want to share the scripture. 
just walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, drunkenness, not in rudeness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill itself. Amen. First Peter chapter two. We've been called to be a holy priesthood. Ephesians chapter 2, a spiritual house made up of living stones built upon the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. The stone is coming. Isaiah said the stone is established in Zion. The stone not cut by human hands will become a mountain covering the whole earth. Micah chapter 4. Behold in the latter days. Ooh, I better read that. That's just... Who's ready to blow? Juliet, you ready? Any McHugh? Hold on, Jillian, let me read this first. This is Micah chapter 2. I'm sorry, Micah chapter 4. Now it shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above all hills, and all peoples will flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem. Awesome. For those that belong to the Lord, there is a second warning to be heeded at the trumpet sound. So that unmistakable, recognizable, unforgettable sound should, we warn, should warn us that one, we better be on the right side, and two, if we are on the right side, that we need to be prepared. And there are, again, many perspectives that we could use to talk about what this preparation looks like. And, and the Lord gave me a very specific one, and I think it's probably because like half our congregation is getting married within the next month. All right, so, so we're, we're, we're gonna read Matt, Matthew 25. Maybe one of the brides-to-be can read this. Matthew 25, we're gonna read verses one through 13. This is the second warning to those that belong to God. There is a warning that the trumpet should remind us of that we need to be prepared for his arrival. It's not enough to be on his team. That's only the beginning. The second piece is we must be prepared for his arrival. And the warning sounds like this. Yes, 1 through, one through 13. Matthew 25.
Oh, that's good. Thank you. Amen. That's a warning about preparedness. The metaphor, the symbol is of the oil. I was just thinking about this literally when I was driving over. You guys remember in the prescriptions in Leviticus regarding the lampstand? You guys re remember the, the commandment regarding the oil for the lampstand? When could it go out? The oil had to be filled every day. The vessel had to be filled every day. So this is a warning to all of us that belong to the Lord. We are the bride of Christ. And he is the bridegroom. So as much as the trumpet blast signifies the return of the king in the white robe dipped in blood with the sword proceeding from his mouth to come and strike the nations and grind them into powder and rule with absolute sovereignty and authority and destroy every enemy of God. He's also the bridegroom. And we as his bride are commanded to be in preparation for his coming. To constantly keep our vessels full. How do you suppose the vessels stay full of oil? First works. Obedience to his ways. Abiding in the vine. Everything the Lord's been teaching us for nine straight years. Because it's by those activities, never, ever, ever by going through religious motions that we come to know the bridegroom and perhaps more importantly, he comes to know us. And I think it's super important that we read in this parable that those that are close but allow their oil to run out do not get to use the oil of anyone else. That's a significant warning. Yes, ma'am. Paul said, I buffet my body, I bring you this and you subject to the rest. When I preach to others, I myself be a Catholic. So even with the, the virgin, it doesn't say how many of the wise went in, I have only those that were red. That's right. You know, so it's not about getting red. That's right. There are two warnings that this trumpet should remind us of. How often do we recognize the Feast of Trumpets? Once a year. For how long? Your whole generations. Why? Because God wants us to know what's going on. God wants us to be aware of his plan. He's invited us into the master's business. 
God has decided on a specific sound that is his. And when this sound is heard, it means a few things. One, that his people come together. Hallelujah, as we've done today. Praise God for that. Father God, be, go be glorified today. Your saints are gathered out of obedience because we love you. And we believe and we trust. We use the trumpet to proceed going into battle. And we battle a little bit every day. But the real battle is yet to come. And we look forward to that battle. I look forward to seeing Jesus in a white robe on a white horse with that sword proceeding from his mouth, with, with fire in his eyes, with the saints of God riding behind him, coming to crush everything that opposes the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, establishing a thousand-year reign of absolute sovereignty, absolute truth, absolute power, absolute perfection. Amen. Hallelujah for that. We look forward to that, Father God. We envision and anticipate the return of the King. And we blow the trumpet as an act of worship and praise. And finally today, we remember that the trumpet sounds to warn us of danger that's coming. And I pray that everyone in this room would have ears to hear that you better be on the right side. And if you are not, I pray that every heart will be pricked by the Spirit of God and the divine hammer of the gospel invitation would break a stony heart to submission. That you would fall on the stone and be saved from the stone falling on you. And if anyone needs or wants to be baptized, we would literally do it today. And for those of us that are sheep of his pasture, our warning is to be prepared. By a life of engagement, daily engagement in first works, be very certain that we know the bridegroom and that the bridegroom knows us. May this sound today remind us to be prepared and to stay prepared. Amen. So now we're going to read your chosen scriptures. And as you read, as you finish reading, everyone that's got a shafar, let it rip. There, and there's some really amazing, really amazing um, futures regarding the blowing of the shafar. I am determined to learn it, and it's going to be awesome. Yes, ma'am.